Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Election College, episode 46. In this episode, Woodrow Wilson decides not to run again, and two Dark Horse candidates come to the forefront. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Jason, um, between 1916 and 1920, a lot of crazy stuff goes down, huh? Yeah, you got World War One, which uh-huh. was already started by the time he... Wilson was elected to his second term, but um, we had more of, of a uh, non-interventionist approach to the whole deal. And now Britain is like, hey, we need help. <laughs> yeah, and Germany is just kind of stepping on everybody's toes as they are off to do in this time of history, especially. And... um He's like, Wilson's like, hey, Congress, um, we got to declare war. We really just need to get over there and help. Um, can we do it? And Congress is like, all right, let's go. So we're now we're in World War One, which, of course, everybody called World War One at the time. We know that. Yeah. So it's really the Great War. And on April 6, 1917, Wilson signs the Declaration of War. Uh, the U.S. didn't really sign any formal alliances with Britain or France, but really operated as a, an associated power, which is an informal ally with military cooperation. So effectively, we're teaming with Britain and France. Right. And this goes on until the... Uh the big four meet, as they called them, the big four meet at the Paris Peace Conference in 1919. And, um, well, I mean, you got like all these heads of state, you got the Pope, um, they're all together and they, uh, they meet up for the end of World War One, and they pretty much are like, all right, so we're all friends now. Um, we know who our friends aren't anymore and we need to like come together and make this alliance and, um, yeah, it's going to be a good a good time. But you know what? I don't think I can run for president again. Yeah, because in October of 1919, he suffers a stroke. He's paralyzed. Yeah. He only has partial vision in his right eye. And he's confined to bed for weeks. And only his wife and his doctor are having interaction with him. Effectively... And it depends on who you speak to at this point. Effectively, his wife is running the country at this point. And 
the reason this is such a fuzzy area is because she's saying he's still making all the decisions, but actually she's the one who is determining what is important enough for him to see. Right. And so kind of one of those things of we got to guard him and his privacy probably turns into someone is not making all the decisions that they need to be making and someone else is. So Wilson just can't quite cut it. He can't, there's just no way he can run for presidency again. And frankly, some of his popularity had died down at this point, even if he was fully well and able to do everything he needed to do. Uh, some of the things he had to do during his second term just didn't quite make him as popular. He probably would not have won the nomination had he sought it. Yeah. So really the country is like, okay, whew, that was rough. That was rough being in a war of that magnitude. Let's try not to become involved in anything like that again. Yeah. Let's never do that again. So, with Wilson out of the picture, the Democrats are like, hmm, what should we do? <laughs> yeah, so uh, they don't really know what to do. So why don't we just nominate or not nominate necessarily, but have like, I don't know, 15 or 20 people running for the for the candidacy. That seems like a really good idea um, to have a, a whole ton of people. Just kind of in the running for things. It's a fantastic idea. Um, especially since your vice president, Thomas Marshall, is like, nope, I am not going to run. Um, so really, it's a party in a little bit of a crisis. But the governor of Ohio, James M. Cox, emerges as the man. Yeah, and uh, part of the reason, too, that um, we mentioned that the, the vice president was one of the people who could see the president, uh, President Wilson, while he was incapacitated, um, he just kind of, he was really indecisive. He didn't kind of do much. I, part of that maybe because Wilson's wife was very strong-willed and kind of took over things, but um, I, he kind of lost all his credibility. And then he also didn't put himself forward for the nomination, so... Yeah, like Jason said, they have to go for somebody else completely. Yeah, and Cox is uh, a pretty popular guy in Ohio. I mean, he was involved as a, a, a journalist. He owned uh, a couple of newspapers. He was a reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer. He owned the Dayton newspaper, the Dayton, Ohio newspaper. Uh, you've probably actually heard of a media group called Cox Communications. They uh, are his legacy. And it's kind of interesting, Ben, because you've we're, we're getting closer and closer to the present, and you've got people who um, are living today who are very near relatives uh, right. to presidential candidates. So actually, his daughter... Um, I believe it's Anne. Uh, she is in her 90s, but she runs the Cox Media Empire, as it were. 
Right. Um, so uh, just a little bit about um, James Cox. If you ever fly into Dayton, Ohio, the airport's named after him too. Just a little. Yeah. Hey, and I was born in the same county as James Cox. So that's kind of fun. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that I'm pretty much famous now. Yeah. That's my claim to fame. Uh, it seems like there were, like, oh, I don't know. It's, like, weird. Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe there's, like, a ton of presidential candidates from Ohio this last hundred years or so. Yeah. Um, it's, like, the place to be. It is. You know a little tidbit about Ohio? I don't know if you knew this, but in Columbus, like, Columbus is considered to be one of the um, most representative cities of the United States. So when restaurants and other companies want to like do a test uh-huh. to see if, uh, see if a product is going to work. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but like McDonald's had a pizza <laughs> at one point and they were just testing it. Like Columbus is the town to test market products. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah and there's a, uh, a lot of the, um, the major, Fast food chains have their kind of headquarters, or not headquarters, but testing facilities there. Yeah, go Ohio. <laughs> I can well, see Ohio um, from my house. That's true, you can. So anyway, <laughs> across the <laughs> aisle, speaking of uh, the Buckeye State, uh, the Republicans are thinking, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to get back into the White House. And who other than Senator Warren G. Harding from Ohio to become the candidate? Right. So he's nominated. And after about 10 ballots, okay, I said about. After 10 ballots, uh, the um, the party nominates Warren G. Harding to be running for president. And so a lot of people said that Harding's nomination um, wasn't really quite above board. Um, it, it kind of was maybe planned out in a, quote, smoke-filled room. That never happens. No, never happens. Um, there was some talk that prior to the convention, um, there somebody said, I don't expect Senator Harding to be nominated on the first, second, or third ballots, but I think we can afford to take chances that about 11 minutes after 2, Friday morning of the convention, when 15 or 12 weary men are sitting around the table, someone will say, who will we nominate? And then the friends of Harding will suggest him, and we should abide by the results. So basically, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So Harding is the man, and he selects Calvin Coolidge as his running mate. And... He, they get the backing of Republican newspapers, but um, just about everyone else wasn't really happy <laughs> with with uh, uh, his nomination. But nevertheless, he's in there. Yeah. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the campaigning and election process? Well, sure. I think that's kind of what we're all about. Yeah. So Warren Harding's campaign slogan was. Return to normalcy. And, um, you know, we've got this, the end of the progressive era and the end of World War One, and the, the Treaty of Versailles, which is ridiculous. And um, just to back up for just a second, the progressive era, um, a lot of social activism going on in the progressive era. era. 
uh, a lot of political reform happening. Um, let's get rid of the corruption in the government is a huge point in the progressive era, as we call it. And that kind of ran from the, the 1890s to the 1920s. Um, the, the really the biggest turning point of it was we can't make any progress if there's all this government collusion and corruption happening. Yeah. And think about in this era and I mean, we really could draw some parallels with other eras in our more recent history, but the American people are kind of exhausted. I mean, everything from think about it, it's only been um, a couple of decades since McKinley was assassinated. And then you've got Roosevelt, very powerful figure. Um, Taft was was passive, but there were a lot of things going on. And then the whole thing of uh, the the shifting during the Wilson administration, the country is really, uh, it's just exhausted. So this policy of normalcy, it sounds really nice. And maybe we'll get a chance to get a breather from all of this. And I mean, you, you always get exactly what uh, what you're promised in a campaign speech, right, Jason? Exactly. Yeah. Always hey, trust so, the candidates. That's right. And everyone else that's with them. Hey, so the um, the this kind of era is also really plagued by a ton of different ethnic issues. And we've talked a couple times, uh, especially back in the late 1890s, that Irish Americans um, were really powerful in the Democratic Party. And we see them kind of come into play big time here in the election of 1920, where there are uh, previously they had been won over by Wilson and he promises that um, I'm going to ask Britain to give Ireland its independence. Yeah. And he does that and he wins and at the Paris Peace Conference, he reneges on those commitments to the Irish American community. Not only did he renege, but he vehemently opposes and denounces Irish independence. So his, <laughs> his dilemma was really that Britain was his war ally. And you had some of the British-Irish tension coming over on to our soil here in America. Right, exactly. And these are not good things if you're you know, the president and maybe you want your party to continue on after this. Right. Um, so uh, Wilson also did something really stupid, uh, at least for political gain. He blamed the Irish Americans and the German Americans uh, for the lack of support that he got during his, uh, he had this campaign to have the United States join the League of Nations. And he said, they're, they're just causing all sorts of propaganda against me and against the League of Nations. And it's their fault. And they're the reason I didn't get it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy in this era of history of all of the anti-Irish and the anti-German sentiment. Um, you know, we mentioned I can see Ohio from my house. Well, Ohio being Cincinnati and Cincinnati having a huge German population. 
there are actually streets um, and the city of Cincinnati is doing a good job of, of telling the history a little bit more now, but there were streets that bore the name, bore the names of their German residents. And during this era, they actually changed the name of the streets to English names. So you would have like Schmidt be changed to Smith. And, and that happened all over the country in this era. Right. So a lot of anti fill in the blank German Irish sentiment happening in this era. And this doesn't, let's just cut to the chase. This doesn't go terribly well for the Democrats uh, during this time period. So you've got a lot of those kind of things influencing the election of 1920 and the fact that they're like, we don't really want to get behind that anymore. Yeah. So Wilson had hoped that there would be a referendum on his whole League of Nations idea, but he doesn't get one. So the architect for the League of Nations is an American and America does not ratify this thing. And Harding really didn't have a strong one way or another about the league and Cox kind of sort of didn't either. And it was just kind of left up in the air. Yeah. And so Cox is out making this, this crazy campaign and going to rallies. He's doing uh, speeches at train stations uh, he's got formal addresses going on. He's talking to like millions of people. And Senator Harding's like, you know what? Remember uh, my uh, forefathers 30, 40 years ago? Uh, they they just kind of sat on their front porch and let people come to them. Uh, old William McKinley, he's a old buddy of mine, of course. Um I'm just going to sit on my front porch and let people come and talk to me. So Harding is all about putting the American people as the hero of the story, (laughs) I guess is the best way to put it. He's like, Hey, you are Americans. You're awesome. Let's put America first and let's do our thing as Americans. We are an independent country. Um, just like we were in 1776, uh, this country is going to remain American. The next president where, is going to be concerned with the affairs of our country. And that's all there is to it. And that really resonated with the people. Absolutely. Hey, this is a kind of a cool little tidbit, Jason. Election night, November 2nd, 1920. The first time that radio coverage of the election returns happens. And it actually happens at KDKA, an AM station in Pittsburgh, which still exists today. Um, And the announcers are just like, here's a telegraph ticker. The results are coming through, and we're going to read them. That's pretty much the whole show tonight, folks. And because of the AM, the way AM works and everything, pretty much, I mean, this is all there was at the time, of course. But the eastern United States, um, anybody in the eastern United States who has a radio receiver, is able to hear the results. And this is the first time that this kind of thing happens. Yeah. And the only problem with that was such a small 
percentage of the population had radio receivers. But hey, who knows? If you lived near KDKA, um, you might have been able to hear the radio signal down your downspout or something like that. But I digress. Do you think? Do you think <laughs> down your downspout? Do you think like a hundred years ago they were like? Hey, in a hundred years, I bet they're going to have these boxes that have um, pictures on them, and and you can even carry some of them in your pockets, and you're going to be able to watch the news all day, every day about anything you want. At how could they have ever? Of course, expected. <laughs> of course not. But just think of the excitement <laughs> they had that we're hearing a telegraph ticker read through the airwaves, and imagine what we've become now, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. That's it's quite impressive, and you know, even even Ben, when and for our listeners, I'm I'm a little bit older than Ben, but I can remember driving to Ben's parents' house when I was little, and we would pass the Voice of America, which had a huge shortwave um, series of towers and the, these towers were just huge. And I, I got into shortwave radio and was listening to, you know, all these crazy broadcasts from around the world and thought that was so awesome. And, and now that's all pretty much obsolete because we have the internet. So yeah. just in my lifetime to see how that, that has changed, but thanks. Thanks a lot. Internet. Yeah. Internet is awesome. So, <laughs> so Harding, like, People all across the land are hearing about how Harding is just beating the heck out of Cox <laughs> in this election. But the landslide uh, victory uh, really came from just about every demographic in America, except in the South, which is always the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Irish and German American voters um, who had backed Wilson. Um, we're actually saying a vote for Harding um, is a vote against the persecution suffered by German Americans during the war. Yeah, there's really not one major German language newspaper that really wants Cox to win. Uh, a ton of Irish Americans are still angry at Wilson's refusal to help them after, especially after he said he would. Whoops, um, and they just didn't vote. So. Really, Republicans get the ethnic vote, which doesn't happen terribly often nowadays, of course. And Harding, just the big cities, they're his. He's going to get them. Yeah. And a really cool thing is that the 19th Amendment is now a part of the Constitution. Uh, It's all ratified and signed, sealed, delivered by August of 1920, just in time for the general election. So, Women's suffrage, women are now voting in every state, finally. And again, because uh, a few people have already mentioned it, and I'm sure more will, um, that it is an intention of ours to do a more in-depth topic, discussion, etc., on women's suffrage, because it was a, I mean, it was and is a huge game changer for everyone involved. Yeah, it's not that long ago. So in the South... Tennessee actually voted for Harding, and this was the first time since the end of Reconstruction that one of the former Confederate states had actually voted for a Republican presidential candidate. Crazy. It's like a complete mind shift, I guess you could say. But 
anyway, uh, Cox is defeated very badly. Um, we we didn't mention though who his running mate is, did we? Oh yeah, we didn't. Franklin D. Roosevelt. You may recognize his name, and if you don't, you will later on. But he, you know, they, they lose. I guess we we kind of just alluded to that. Um, we'll we'll talk more about it here in a minute. But he, they lose, and Roosevelt becomes this pretty well known political figure at this point. He is really active on the campaign trail. He's really active and a good supporting running mate for Cox. And then he even goes on to be elected as governor of New York and yada, yada, yada. You'll hear more about that in a few episodes. Yeah. So uh, you remember Eugene? Yes. The Socialist Party candidate. Uh, he got almost a million popular votes. Um, I guess he decided that um, senatorship wasn't the only thing he wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> but get this, Ben. He was in prison at the time <laughs> because <laughs> he was advocating noncompliance with the draft uh, during oh, World man. War One. But and I mean that does fall in line with his party's beliefs, of course. Yeah, but that was the largest number of popular votes ever received by a socialist party candidate in the U.S. So go figure. Wait, go man, go to jail, <laughs> become a martyr, <laughs> get all sorts of votes. I mean, that's the model. I guess we need to follow now. Yeah. So the total vote in 1920 was an increase of 8 million votes from 1916. And the Democratic vote was almost exactly the vote in 1916. So the Republican votes nearly doubled. Crazy. It is crazy. And so the Republican Party and the way it's associated now is – not a brand new thing. I mean, there are some policies and shifts that have taken place, but Republican Party in general is often considered more, um, I don't want to say uptight, but that's kind of the way I'm looking at it uh, as a conservative person uh, would look at it. They probably wouldn't consider themselves terribly uptight, but in 1920, the women are allowed to vote, which is great. But a large faction of women were also part of the prohibition movement, which we talked about previously. And so that large faction of people then voting in a conservative manner, as the women, uh, many, many of them, not all of them, of course, did, um, and part of their push to be able to vote, um, really brings the the support for the Republican Party up by huge amounts. Yeah. So it's like nearly two-thirds of the counties were carried by the Republicans. And like, it's just nuts. If you look at the county map um, or the map, map of all the counties <laughs> that voted in the vote, <laughs> boy, I'm having difficulty with that. But if you look at the presidential election results by county in the year of 1920, you are going to see a red, 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 red United States with the exception of the Deep South. Other than that, I mean, you've got Harding taking taking it. Yeah, absolutely. He gets uh he gets sixty percent of the total vote and um kind of destroys in that election. <laughs> yeah. So that's about it for nineteen twenty. Hey Ben. Yes, Jason. Have you completed all of your Christmas shopping yet? I haven't even started. You asked me that a couple weeks ago and I'm still behind the curve. Hey, you know what? Don't feel bad. There's something called the internet. We've talked about it a little bit this episode. Uh-huh. 
And if you head over to electioncollege.com slash Amazon, it's going to take you to this little website. It's called Amazon.com. And you're going to find just about anything you could possibly want to give anyone. So they have just about everything. Just be careful because you want to visit electioncollege.com slash Amazon to get there. Do your shopping. You won't notice a difference in the amount you spend, but Election College gets a little cut of that. Yeah, absolutely. It helps us out. We like that. Hey, and the best thing that we think you can give someone for Christmas is to just simply tell them about Election College. Yeah. Um, we, we like our show. We hope you do, too. Um, if uh, If you don't, then why are you listening, I guess? But if you like the show, the best way to tell people about it is word of mouth. And we really want the show to grow and continue to grow as it has been doing, which is awesome. The other best way to do it is to leave a review on iTunes. Yeah. So head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. We promise to have good, awesome thoughts about you. And don't forget to interact with us over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Election College on all of those wonderful social media properties. Hey, if you didn't know, Jason and I are launching a new show on January 1st called Fortune Cookie Podcast. We give you your daily fortune, well, daily, in under five minutes. So we go ahead and eat all the Chinese food for you every day, record an episode, of course, with a fortune cookie, and uh, we talk about it a little bit. So go ahead and check that out at at cookiepodcast.com and sign up for the mailing list to be alerted when we launch. Yeah, we promise you will be inspired. Absolutely. I think that's everything we have to say about the election of 1920, at least for now. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.